always have my my four cues quickly quantity quality and then uh, i know it's not a cue but if you put a squeaky clean they're my kind of four top things so cleanliness again coming back to the hygiene cleanliness because if that classroom is dirty um, so if the bucket is dirty, the teats are dirty, whatever you're putting the maybe the colostrum into a, a, a teat feeder afterwards, if that's dirty, then that all the bugs in that colostrum are going to be competing for the antibodies in the gut. Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. Hazel Mullins, Vet on the Move, joins us to give advice to manage herd health on dairy farms. Her top tips for spring. But first, she gives insight into life farming in partnership with her father on their dairy farm in County Cork and her work in her veterinary practice. So I am in partnership with my dad on the dairy farm at home here in Carrick-Navarre. And we are milking, going to be milking about 63 cows this year. And then um, I also run a locuming, large animal locum business. Um, and I locum generally kind of in the North Cork area. I do a lot in Mitchellstown and um, kind of Fromoy area. So really enjoying that. So it's generally doing a lot of TB testing and calls. And I do a little bit of night work as well. For the spring, I tend to be at home with dad calving cows. Um, but I, I do uh, a little bit still during the spring as well. And then um, I'm also the current president of Veterinary Ireland. So that's a huge role for me this year in 2024. So that keeps me busy as well. And and I guess to take a step back, Hazel, where I first came across you was social media, where you were bringing us along with you on those call outs that you, you talk about. Um, like one of the most interesting things for me was you were identifying, helping us identify sick animals, you know, I suppose um, giving a list of the ailments and w- one of those kind of uh, quick fire question boxes, what do you think it is? And I'll be honest, I didn't always get it right, but, you know, there was an element of learning from your, um, you know, what you were sharing and what you were seeing on farms. Was that always a thing that you liked doing? Yeah, so that really took off in about 2018, 2019. And I, it was basically because I wanted to share what I was doing every day. And I was kind of sending pictures to my friends who are definitely not into farming. And, uh, you know, a lot of them live in Cork City and they were kind of, they were amazed by a lot of the things I was seeing. So I said, maybe there is something in this. So I started my Instagram page properly, probably start 2019 and sharing just things that I thought were, you know, maybe you know, run of the mill things that I see every day. And then there was obviously more exciting things, but yeah, just kind of being interactive and asking the questions, asking the polls. Um, Even my friends that aren't from farming backgrounds know what milk fever is now. And uh, it's, it's great that there's a knowledge out there as well about kind of diseases and how to recognize, you know, kind of classic clinical signs. And yeah, I really enjoyed the interaction. And, and I guess then, you know, you know, part of that, um, I see that as one thing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think in in more recent years, farmers and vets are working together. And, you know, I, I really think there's a proactive approach to animal health on farms rather than, the you know, the reactive firefighting nature of, you know, I suppose regular vet visits um, because they're sick animals on farm and, and rather we're moving towards 
you know, maintaining healthy herds. And, you know, it's it's the TB test is, is the main reason why the, the vet is out. And then, you know, there there are some some other issues on farm throughout the year. Is that something that you were seeing? Um, you know, like, you, you know, you mentioned the Instagram and, and it's giving you a lot of FaceTime with people. But outside of that, your dealings with farmers in call outs or, you know, just in practice, is that a thing? Yes. So I think it's gone definitely... Look, firefighting will always be there. There'll always be emergency calls. There'll always be a need for, you know, the the surgeries every now and again and, and the sick cow calls. Um, but I definitely see there's definitely been a shift. Um, even in the last 10 years, I qualified in 2013 from Nottingham. Uh, I started working uh, down in Kerry and then I moved to kind of different practices around Cork. And definitely there's been a shift to more kind of herd health. I know that's a real buzzword at the moment, but it is, you know, farmers are being a lot more pro- proactive getting diagnostics on the farm. Like that's a, a huge benefit to knowing what diseases are the risk on the farm, what minerals deficiencies may be there. Soil sampling has really helped, uh, silage sampling. Um, we kind of can envisage now, kind of predict whether there's going to be issues, metabolic issues like calcium deficiencies, magnesium, all of the, you know, selenium, all of these things that we can envisage happening. And I think um, even doing things like diagnostic transition cow bloods, a lot of farmers now really want to know, are they feeding their cows right in that transition period? Is there, you know, ketones, NIFAs? Um, are are we getting subclinical milk fevers that we're not aware of? Um, yeah, I think diagnostics really has opened up the world uh, of veterinary now and farming to predicting disease and preventing disease. And it's a, it's a really exciting time to be a vet, actually, because there's nearly a new diagnostic, on-farm diagnostic um, kit coming out every every one or two years now. So it's 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 uh, yeah, it's it's really moved on even in the last 10 years since I qualified. And, and you mentioned diagnostics and then, you know, large amounts of information be it your soil, um, silage sampling, you know, managing cows better. Is there, you know, a few top things that you see people doing really well in that space of herd health or things that farmers should be doing, um, you know, to to get to there? Yeah, so I think there's a real uh, data, you know, people really like their 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 data and looking at ICBF and really utilising that. And, you know, every farmer that you know, every farmer has an ICBF page and they should um, really have their vet involved in that. And you can nominate your vet to be your local vet to be able to see your your data right there in real time, looking at your milk recordings, looking at your genetics, looking at, you know, mastitis records, all of these things that are right there ready for to use. And and it's it's I really see farmers really utilizing that. Yes, there's there's farmers that need to do it more and it's always time is the is the probably limiting factor there. But even if like once a week you could really like look at the look at the you know especially after getting a milk recording really sit down and look go through it and see what's going on and identify cows that maybe you know issues with high cell counts and things like that and and discuss with your vet the data that you're looking at i think diagnostics yes i think farmers are are excellent with their bulk milks and i think it's a really good um general overview of of health on the farm and it can also really 
highlight when there's a disease maybe creeping into the farm as well. And it can show that the antibodies titers going up maybe from from test to test. And that's not there, you know, to, uh, you know, to be ignored. That really is there to be discussed with your vet and, and see, OK, is there a vaccination program that could be brought in for I don't know, example, salmonella, is it creeping up in the in the titers? Are you vaccinating? Then, you know, really, we should be probably thinking of implementing something if there's warning signs there. Um, and then hygiene, I think, is is my last non-negotiable. I think it's a very basic thing. Um, again, weather is, is, you know, as I'm farming as well, I know that, God, sometimes the weather really isn't on our sides and, and uh, there's just muck everywhere. And But look, if things can be kept as clean as possible, cubicle liming, you know, cleaning them down twice a day, liming twice a day, calf sheds, you know, cleaning them out between calvings or else putting, trying to do your best in between calvings. I know there's some farms that are calving 20 cows a day at the moment and it can be very hectic, but it is just trying to keep the basics of hygiene and I know it's probably like a broken record now from vets talking about it, but as a vet and a farmer, I know that it's not um, easy to keep things spotless. Um, but as long as you're doing your best, and uh, I think that's that's the main thing. And, and the hygiene one, it sounds so basic, but as you say, there are lots of factors at play on farm, like weather is, is a big one, um, you know, a lot of rain on the way, apparently in, in the in the forecast. So it is to keep on top of these things, because once I suppose you let them slide, then that becomes the norm and it leads to bigger issues. You mentioned vaccines, um, Hazel, and I suppose if we look at a, a dairy discussion group, um, you know, if you're sitting in to review financials for the year, um, veterinary costs in, in terms of things like vaccinations are totally variable. And you'll see some farms are maybe less than 10 euro per cow. Um, so vaccinating for very little or, or nothing at all. And then you see some farms who are up at 30 euro per cow. So they're they're hitting all the vaccines. I suppose from your experience and, and, and your um, background, is there a role for a good vaccination program on farm? There definitely is. And it does differ from farm to farm. And I've been on farms where you know, they don't vaccinate for anything, probably maybe just black leg, for example, or they might just vaccinate for lepto and nothing else. And look, I've been on farms that that look they get away with that and and that's fine, like as long as they're monitoring what's going on on farm. But I, I do think then I have been on the other end where I've been on farms that haven't vaccinated for certain diseases and they do come in and the financial implications of that are huge. You know, a salmonella outbreak, abortions, you know, lepto, zoonotic, like lepto is a zoonotic disease as well. So you're protecting yourself as well. Um, salmonella, we can get salmonella as well. So there is a lot of factors, you know, you have to think of the health of the farmer as well, the health of the cow. And looking at those diagnostics, like bulk milk sampling is a great example of how we can, yeah, I, I mentioned it before, the warning signs. But back, yeah, looking, sitting down with your vet, making sure that you're kind of looking at your farm as a whole. Are you a closed herd? Are you sending heifers off to be heifer reared? Are they going to be mixed with other groups of from different herds? Are they going to have different neighbours where they're going? Is there an outside farm? Do you know the history of the farm next door? Look, all of these play a huge factor in the risk of vaccination versus not vaccinating. So I don't think it's as straightforward as, um, you know, just every farm should be the same. Like we vaccinate for 
uh, look, every, and everything pretty much on the farm. And look, that's because there was warning signs on my bulk milks a couple of years ago um, for IBR and um, for salmonella. We've always actually vaccinated for salmonella. And um, it's just that peace of mind as well. Um, for us, I think um, I like to know that my cows are protected. And um, yes, but every farm is different. And that's why the role of the vet with the farmer chatting, looking at diagnostics, looking at your system is so important. And a, a really interesting points you, you you bring to the table there, Hazel. You talk about the risk to the farmer. And of course, we forget that. And it is a thing, um, you know, we always look after the animal, but what about ourselves? And there is a risk of transmitting these diseases to to ourselves um but also the peace of mind and and that's a really interesting thing because you mentioned the you know the 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 worst case scenario and the financial implications and that really weighs heavy on on farmers and you know i, I suppose an, an abortion storm from a disease outbreak um you know in the month of december january can be incredibly stressful and um hugely impactful on on the herd and the the farmer themselves Oh, huge. And and that'll impact then on the busy spring ahead. And it just becomes one big, you know, headache and, you know, mentally as well. You know, I our farm last year was struck with a kind of a dose of scour in March when that bad weather came. And it was my first year being full time on the farm. And it really affected me. Like I really was down. I was stressed. And, you know, this year now, I really don't want, I'm doing everything I can to prevent that happening again. And look, sometimes no matter how vigilant you are and how good with classroom and hygiene and everything, just things just don't go your way. And that's okay too. And it's not something to be, you know, ashamed of and it's I, I was a bit embarrassed, I suppose, last year because I'm also a vet and I was a bit embarrassed that that I had, you know, that crypto, we had a crypto outbreak. Um, but look, I just had to uh, get on and pull myself out of the, the misery and get through it and try to make sure that all the, the calves that were born afterwards were given the best chance of, of um, preventing the disease. And yeah, just mind yourselves. It's a really, really busy time. Like I've been both, you know, busy with veterinary in spring and now busy with farming in spring. And it's, it's, it's much of a muchness. Like we're, we're all in an industry where we have to mind our mental health and mind our sleep and food and nutrition. And just, I think sometimes we can, we can definitely put all the animals before ourselves, but remember that we're, we need to be there on the ground. So mind yourselves. When you talk about, you know, I suppose you're taking a proactive approach to it at home and you're, I suppose, analysing the, the trend on the bulk milk sample and, you know, I suppose, reacting to that and um, putting the plan in place. But for things like um, the BVD vaccine, I was talking with a group of students last week and um, we were talking about the different vaccines and BVD was one that came up and I suppose we had no definitive answer. So maybe you can help with that. Um, see, I'm a farmer. I'm ear notching, you know, for the last number of years. I'm, um, I suppose, consistently getting negative tests. Is it a thing that I should be vaccinating, even though my, I suppose, the offspring from the, the dairy herd is coming back negative? So there's been so much work done over the last, uh, I think it's 2000 and 
2013, it all started um, and there has been a huge reduction in BBD in the country, which is a, is a testament to everyone involved and uh, the farmers and the department and vets and everyone. But uh, it is a thing, whereas if you're not vaccinating, our animals are naive. So I've seen it across bulk samples that the naivety of Irish herds now to BVD are, is is a serious, you know, it is, it is there. They haven't been exposed to it. So if they are exposed for whatever reason, if there's a PI comes into the herd or through a neighbouring herd, it is something that that could spread rapidly through the herd. So it is looking again at your farm system and looking at how risk, doing a risk assessment with your vet. Um, are you a closed herd? Are you sending animals elsewhere uh, and they're coming back to your farm? Are you buying in a lot of replacements? So I do think it is a farm dependent and talking to your vet is, is key again. And then same, you know, there are time frames in which we would administer a vaccine. Um, you know, how important is that to, you know, I suppose, nail it on farm? And, you know, or, you know, is there wiggle room to, you know, plus or minus two weeks, plus or minus a month? I think there's a lot of research. Look, there is a lot of research gone into the development of vaccines, like a, a vaccine. I think the, the newest crypto vaccine, for instance, I think is 23 years in development. So what it says on the data sheet is there because it has been proven that's the best way to give the vaccine. So realistically, it should be if you can send reminders on your phone, put it in the calendars um, to that the booster is needed in the three or four weeks, whichever is recommended. Um, if you are over, have a chat with your vet as well and kind of get their opinion. They can also ring the company, get their opinion. Um, but if we can, we really do, do, do need to stick to the data sheet because that's what's proven to give the best immune stimulus to the cow or to the calf. Storage of vaccines as well. I do think if you're going to the vet to get your vaccines, try to come home straight away. Don't go... Uh, into the supermarket and do the shopping or or go to the farm shop, try and go straight home, put them in the fridge. The door of the fridge is a really good place um, to put the vaccines because it's it's kind of that ambient temperature. It's not going to be freezing. You know, sometimes you see the, the ice building up at the back of a fridge, like the last thing you want to do is freeze a vaccine. Um, it has to be kept, you know, at that kind of two two to five degrees um, recommendation and making sure that your fridge is working as well. I know this is a, a simple thing, but a lot of farm fridges are perhaps fridges that have been taken out of houses that that weren't, you know, performing as well as they should have been. So it's making sure that that fridge is working on farm as well. Um, I know in my fridge here in the kitchen, I definitely have a few vaccines in, in the uh, in the shelf uh, on the door, which my husband probably isn't too fond of. But I definitely think that storage is key and also giving it at the right time, especially when you're looking at, at giving kind of scour vaccines as well, three to 12 weeks prior to calving. That's really important. So maybe at this time of year, people might be batching their later calvers and giving them their scour vaccine. Um, that's a really good idea as well. And um, yeah, just making sure that you're administrating it pro correctly. If it says into the muscle, give it into the muscle, um, perhaps with a little longer needle and the under the skin, then make sure that you're getting it under the skin. And again, maybe a little shorter needle for, for that type of vaccine. I really like that idea. You, you talk about the reminder on the phone and, you know, I suppose people go through to the um, effort and time of sitting down and creating that herd health plan. And in that, there is a guideline in terms of 
when to administer and, and the simple um, reminder that will pop up on your, your phone um, from your calendar, you know, it just, I suppose, gives you that um, that nudge to do it. Uh, funny about the storage of vaccines, a vet told me previously that the amount of um, uh, Jeeps that you will see at the Mart with the brown paper bag with the vaccines in it on the windscreen. Um, so absolutely the the um I suppose the proper protocol around it for maximum effectiveness is important. Um I, I this I'm I'm aware this now is possibly becoming a very uh, vaccine conversation. But the final point, um some people are in the situation where they found in the last two to three years the availability of vaccines is an issue. So they're not actually getting to the they're getting the say I suppose full complement for the herd. Is that a, a problem you've come across, Hazel, and what is the reason for it? Yeah, there has been uh, a few different vaccines over the last kind of year or two that have been more difficult to get. And look, it's it's due to different reasons, uh, different, I suppose, batch failures in, in the manufacturing or um, failure of, of, you know, the production in some shape or form and it's it is out of our control sometimes and it is trying to make the best of those situations and putting down your your name in your vet to get on a list for you know when they do come in uh, is a, is a good thing to do being proactive i just don't think that just because a vaccine is short supply Again, it's out of your control, but it is in in your control to make sure that you're on a list that when it does come in, that you are the first to be notified and not just give up on the whole thing. Um, It it is so important to keep going. Like if there is a disease risk on the farm or for that peace of mind that, you know, that we just don't give up because it's not available. It will be available at some stage. And perhaps look that some herds might have to go in with a second shot to booster if it has gone over um, a certain time limit. But again, discussing that with your vet, discussing it with the with the manufacturers of the vaccine. And uh, yeah, it's it's something that happens and it's something just not to sit back and just be like, oh, sure, I can't do it. It's not there. It is really being proactive about it and, and trying to work with your vet and trying to get on a on a, a list that when it does come in that you're going to be wrong and it's 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 going to be um you're going to be able to vaccinate as soon as possible. So I suppose to change tack a little bit, Hazel, um you you know, you mentioned that you've seen the dairy farm in, in the springtime from you know, the farmer lens over the last number of years on call. And you're also now in the situation this year and last year, um, you know, doing the spring at home. We're in mid-February now and it is, you know, the real crunch time. You mentioned, you know, some farmers have a huge volume of cows calving within a 24-hour period. What are the key challenges that, you know, you've experienced? I think that labour and help on a farm is always going to be a, a huge factor in especially the, the bigger dairies. And and I can see, look, I suppose on my farm, uh, there's myself and my dad and my uncle is on the farm as well. So we're very lucky to have um, that help there. So I do f- find that perhaps, look, especially at this kind of early spring stage, um, there's lots of calves arriving and then the diseases are probably further down the line. Um, so it's kind of that spot now that you're in where you're kind of like, OK, everything is going OK. And then 
problems arise then when the numbers, when the infection pressure basically rises above what it, what the immunity of of those calves can can withstand. So it is making sure that the system within the farm is is working to the best ability. Like is is there a system that you know each calf when it's born, it's getting its colostrum, it's moving to um, a pen, then it moves to another pen. Is there a system where you kind of can keep track of all the calves and make sure that they're all being treated the same and all getting the same basic requirement of classroom and also hygiene, you know, your navels, all of that. And I think just making sure that the system, like the sheds are working for you, is there any improvements that can be made? Um, look, it's not an easy answer, Emma Louise. I do think that uh, people are doing their best. And uh, again, it's, it's that's not... Perfection is probably never going to be there, but it's that strive to perfection. It's always trying to improve. It's always trying to trying to improve on last year and trying to improve on the system on the farm. And I know that's not as easy as it sounds. Um, and as a dairy farmer now, um, as it definitely kind of I open it's opened my eyes to even though you have the best of intentions um with with all your animals, sometimes lack of sleep or you know, a mad cow or something that's gone wrong in the night that you that you you can't do exactly what you what you plan to do. It happens. And um just minding yourself as well is is the main thing and safety is always the thing because the, the last thing you want is to do something um that causes injury and then you're not there and then that's even more stressful. So just making sure that the that the whole shed is working well for you is 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 my biggest tip, I think. And, and you mentioned the the calves and we would have chatted with a dairy advisor from Wexford, Kay O'Connell, last week. And, we, you know, we, I suppose there was a big um, focus on calves and, you know, their naivety um, to disease and their vulnerability. Um, you know, you talk about colostrum. Um, I, I suppose putting your vet hat on, we would hear it a lot from Emer Kennedy and Moorpark, but, you know, maybe the process for colostrum management and, and feeding in that early stage in the newborn calf's life. Yeah, so it is very important to be giving it uh, within the two hours. So I always have my my four cues quickly, quantity, um, quality, and then uh, I know it's not a cue, but if you put a squeaky clean, um, they're my kind of four top things. So cleanliness, again, coming back to the hygiene, cleanliness, because if that claustrum is dirty, um, so if the bucket is dirty, the teats are dirty, whatever you're putting the maybe the claustrum into a, a, a teat feeder afterwards, if that's dirty, then that all the bugs in that claustrum are going to be competing for the antibodies in the gut. So there's receptors in the gut and the bacteria actually compete with those receptors. So even though you could have the best quality, you know, 20, over 22% bricks on your refractometer, um, but it's at, and if the hygiene isn't good, I think that's a real factor. I'm sure look, we're, we're all very much aware of, you know, your, your three to four litres within two hours, ideally. But I think the cleanliness is a big thing. And a big thing of mine, actually, at the moment, it's, is noticing, actually, now that I'm dealing with colostrum and feeding calves daily with colostrum, how easy it is for dirt to get into that bucket. And, you know, cows are, are you know, calving, there's straw, there's there's a lot going on. And but really focusing on the cleanliness. And that's that's my kind of big claustrum thing now at the moment is is 
not to let those bacteria multiply, um, keep it in a fridge, uh, don't throw it out, uh, even if it's been in the fridge for 48 hours um, and make sure that fridge is, is working as well. And um, yeah, just the bacteria, watch it because Clostrum is a lovely medium for bacteria to grow. It, they really do enjoy it. And and how soon after you milk the cow should you be refrigerating if you're not using the full amount to feed a calf? Oh, like within whenever within an hour, I would say you know I'm once you've you've put it into a container, a clean container. I don't think there should be any real delay putting it into the fridge um, and and feeding the calf. Then when you when you heat it up, then accordingly, um, never using any microwaves, just using a water bath uh, to heat the colostrum, and because um, you'll destroy the the antibodies, all the goodness if you if you um, overheat it or put it into a microwave. So um, yeah, just putting it in basic like you would if you're having a cup of tea, you put the fr- you put the milk back in the fridge. It's it's it really isn't rocket science and it's just making sure you're doing the basics right. And, and you mentioned denaturing and not to get too uh, technical, but temperature for uh, heating classroom. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be kind of, I suppose, around the 40 degree mark of water in a water bath um, would be would be ideal kind of in around the, the body temperature, um, kind of 37 to 40 degrees. Anything over kind of the 50 degree mark will will denature the proteins. And, and just to, to finally to touch on um, a point that you made earlier in the conversation, you talked about your role um, in veterinary Ireland. So you've taken on um, the president's role um, late last year. Um, I know it's slightly outside of the, the farmer's um, remit, um, but what is that about? And I suppose what does that involve for you, Hazel? Yes. So I became the president of Veterinary Ireland in November last year. And it's a role that I feel it was the right time for me to take on. Um, it's basically that Veterinary Ireland is an organisation that represents vets in Ireland. Uh, we all, we're all we also a trade union and uh, we basically give a voice to our members. And and I suppose with, with vets, you know, we, we all need them and... Um, you know, when we talk about the farm team, um, you know, they're a, a very important player if you if you laid out, say, you're, you're 15. Um, but say, I suppose, you know, often there's a vet leaves a practice, there can be shortages. But where is veterinary as a career at, um, you know, and I, I suppose the, the, the number of, of vets on the ground um, as you see it? So there definitely is a recruitment and retention issue at the moment in practices. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will have met their own local vet and they've mentioned this to them and it is uh it's 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 worrying at the moment and we do need to encourage the right people into veterinary and it's trying to get into schools and trying to give education to students that what a veterinary is and opening their eyes to I suppose the challenges you know there's on call there's you know, working with animals is also working with people as well. So you do have to deal with people, you have to deal with animals, you have to work late nights. Um, and it is kind of just making sure that the right people are going into veterinary. And it is a really rewarding. I love being a vet, uh, a really rewarding profession. 
And there's so many avenues that you can take and, and opportunities within the profession. And I think it's just trying to promote, to promote it in a positive light. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hopefully exciting year, um, ahead with hopefully a announcement about a new vet school at some stage. And it would be wonderful to, you know, keep some of the students that are traveling abroad currently within Ireland and, and not to be, I suppose, exporting our students, um, and trying to to you know, supply a, a course within within the island of Ireland that that will uh, be the future of veterinary and uh, alongside all the other veterinary uh, courses. So it's it's um, exciting time, and hopefully that maybe some listeners today they might uh, be interested in becoming vets in the future or have have children that might uh, take on the profession and uh, it's it's as i said i love it myself and uh, it's just promoting it and making sure that the right people are going into it for sure um this has been a really insightful conversation hazel i think you know taking a step back and looking at the whole system um you know your idea of using your data um diagnostics and hygiene as, as, you know, big picture stuff in terms of, um, getting herd health right on farms. And, you know, you do acknowledge that there are emergencies and there are, you know, problems that will arise, um, you know, despite best efforts at times. Also then looking to the springtime in particular, um, you know, looking at the, the care of the newborn calf with your four cues and, and, and cleanliness you know, as really, really key things um, to, to contain uh, um, disease risk. And, and finally, to touch on, I suppose, your exciting role and, and the very best to look for the year ahead as president of Vet Ireland. Thank you, Hazel. Thank you, Emma-Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Hazel Mullins for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and listen on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.